I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. Shut up. Suck it up. Be a man. I'll make you watch Swap Day Out AVI again. You don't stop crying. I'm not bluffing. I'll do it. They eat the poo poo. <coughs> you ready? <laughs> I'm just I'm just gonna start. Are you ready? I'm ready. Welcome to the Bearded Dicks Musical Fun Time. I'm the beard. I'm the dick. I'm sorry, speak up. Wait. I'm the dick. That's accurate. Welcome back. What it's like to be poor and have one microphone. Yes, Just two men. Two men. Knee to knee. So close. Uh, uh, I can taste your breath. I can taste your burp. So, we're freshly back from talking about poop. Yeah. On last week's episode of Motel Hell. Now we're going to bring it down, going to have a little bit more fun. And uh, I think Dick Fetty's going to start us off here with his... Disco box recommendation. D -d 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 Disco, Disco box. So we're gonna open it. <laughs> I, I I oiled the hinges. Oh, I know. So thoughtful. Yeah, they still squeak a little bit because yeah. you know there's monsters Ancient inside. But box. Yep. So what you got for us today, Dick? Well, the Disco Dick is about to take a trip down to the old acid. Flip. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. Not make a decahedron level, but we're getting there. Uh, it was something. I tried. So I took a quick about face from whatever I recommended the last time. I don't even remember where I was at before. What did we do last time? I'm uh, drunk half of these episodes. So coffins. Anatomia. Yeah. Corrupted. Connate. So yeah, last last disco box recommendation was a, it was a dark place. Yes. It was a lot of triple C oriented music and this is not that this is not that this is not it <laughs> <laughs> still have that stuck in my head um yeah so no i went on this huge kick i, I started a week or two ago of japanese psych rock and it's largely due to the change of weather it's the kind of music that's like made for summertime so it's loud it's it's loud it's bombastic it's guitar oriented but yeah, no, it's all those things. It's, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's psychedelic rock, so it's trippy and it's, it's good for being outside in the sun. And, and, and when I used to take the drugs, it was good for that too. But now that I'm, I don't do the drugs, it's also good. So I'm going to give essentially a slightly brief, although it'll probably be longer than I expect. I'm already talking. For it always is. It. Yeah. Right. Uh, history lesson as to the Japanese psychedelic rock scene post 85 essentially so there are some main players that kind of dominate the scene now uh leaving aside keiji hano who is um or hano who is known for his free improvisation solo work and his work uh with fushi susha so 
Um, the people I think of are Yu Ishihara and Michio Kurihara and uh, Soichiro Nakamura, which are all basically have been in bands together and run studios together, whatever. And then Boris, essentially, are the sort of mainstays of Japanese psych rock now. And Michio Kurihara, I think, more than most. Although Yu Ishihara as well have, because of their roots... Uh, going so far back, they've been involved with many, many projects that run the gamut from psych rock to garage rock to kraut rock to all sorts of weirder stuff, and have um, you know really they've they've helped out in many different places. Michio Kurihara more than most because I guess he speaks probably pretty killer English because he's toured with uh, Damon and Naomi, who are like a slowcore indie band, and did a couple albums with them, and he's been involved in with a bunch of U.S. labels and has done stuff with Stephen O'Malley from Sun and did, did stuff with Boris and he's been all over the place. So, so yeah, so I'm going to be talking about essentially that nexus of players and that it also relates to PSF, which is Psychedelic Speed Freaks, which is the sort of, I guess, most internationally famous Japanese psychedelic rock label, which is way more than just that. It's garage rock, it's free improv, it's uh, free jazz, and experimental piano compositions, all sorts of different stuff. Um, the guy who ran that label, whose name escapes me, passed away a couple, two years ago, and get re-listening to this music now makes me deeply regret not ever visiting Modern Music, which was the record store he owned, and twice I was going to go there, and twice I, for one reason or another, just didn't make it, and... I think, I don't know if the shop's closed, but, I mean, he's now passed away, and he was a legendary figure who essentially shaped the course of Japanese scuzzy rock for 25 years, so... Wow, way to fuck that one up, Frank. I know. I really, it's, like, really upsetting to me. And, of course, I mean, a lot of that catalog, everything from Japan's expensive, just by default. It's expensive for them to make CDs, and they're even more expensive for us to get, so it's, like... You can expect, on average, to spend $30 for a Japanese CD. Um, and now all that shit's going to stay out of print because the guy who runs the label's dead. So, all that being said, the group that, if you know Japanese psych rock, um, that's after the 70s. I forget the name of the main band. It's like Lei Res New Wave. Some, some That sounds right. Something um, French. They're like ultra-famous... 70s uh jap psych band they're they're the, the most famous after that is essentially white heaven excluding boris and um white heaven did a series of demos and recordings i think they started in 85 and they put out their first proper album on psf in 1991 and the guy who ran psf essentially stated like if there was any single one band that embodied the japanese psychedelic rock scene it was White Heaven, and everybody who's been involved in the band, or almost everybody, has gone on to be in like five to ten other different bands of this type of style and varying focuses and whatnot. But Michio Kurihara and Yu Ishihara are the most famous people from the band and are the most active still to this day. So I'm recommending their first album out. Long introduction, I know. Uh, which I picked up in 2008 at the Grand Old Aquarius Records in Mission Hill in San Francisco. 
I bought it in person when I visited the store after reading a lot about it, and it was completely different than what I expected. I was thinking it was going to be like Boris, essentially, so pretty clean-sounding, big-building, psychedelic stuff, and it is way scuzzier and way... Like, it's very analog tape, four-track recorder almost quality yeah. to it, and uh, the vocals take some getting used to. I'm, I like The Doors, but I'm not the biggest fan, and the guy sort of sounds like an even drunker Jim, Jim Morrison, Morrison yeah, who, can't, who can't, like, pronounce his words, and the lyrics make no sense, which I love. Like, they're, if you're gonna ha if you're not gonna write great lyrics, then just make them pleasant to hear, but yes. not mean anything, and not be cringe-inducing, unlike keep on rotting in the free world <laughs> <laughs> or what was it absolute poser cost uh, yeah go listen to our carcass episode, <laughs> part one and two so it's cool because the, the so i showed you a little bit of the album tonight um we listened to some of the early parts of it which are it starts off more freak out guitar oriented the first track immediately goes into this just like 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 just crazy guitar shit yeah and then it from the beginning, just like chills out more and more and more, except for Mandrax Town, which is like a late album, heavy guitar cut. And uh, I, I'm not like, I don't listen to American West Coast 60s and early 70s psych rock. So like they get compared to Quicksilver Messenger Service and some other bands, but I've never even heard of that band. Yeah, there's, they don't, it doesn't mean a lot to me. I don't have them as a reference point. I just basically know this band and depending on who you talk to and whatever, some people just say it's like wildly derivative and they offer nothing interesting. Other people say that it's the quintessential crystallization of the 60s sound with all like the stupid parts removed and filtered through Japan, so it's just that much better. I liked it. Yeah, I, uh, I've basically learned... I've come to enjoy this album more and more every day that passes by since I bought it 11 years ago and since it was released... Um, what is it, 28 years ago now? So the CD version came out in 1994, which is still pretty available. Uh, they pressed it, I think, probably more than once and is an easy recommendation to make. So it's six songs. A couple of the songs are very long. The second one is exceptionally good. And the last song, which we listened to right before the episode, is called Out and is just really chill and has like a building real dreamy yeah like like really nice guitar work by kurihara and the band's lineup changed a couple times over the course of their very few albums that they did and i recently picked up an album that i'll probably review next time called next to nothing which was their final incantation essentially or incarnation rather and turns into this very like loungy psych rock stuff that wouldn't feel out of place in a casino that was in space and but like of a very 70s or 80s ilk it's 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 a very particular sounding album and i've been searching for it for about 10 years and then i got it for under 20 dollars which is insanely cheap yeah. because it normally sells for like 50 or more and the lp version of it sells for like minimally 400 dollars. so i was pretty pleased but, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, I don't know, like, psychedelic rock means something to me that's probably different than it is to a lot of people, but if you're not particularly familiar with the the genre or don't have a particular starting point, 
I would say this is this sounds older than it is, and it's way more propulsive in a lot of the songs than I expect. Like it's way more of a harsh psych or a harsh acid vibe than it is like a just chillin' after the acid's yeah. already peaked vibe. It's a really it's more of a boozy album in a lot of ways to me than it is like a chill out album, whereas next to nothing is like ultra fucking chill. Uh, so that's my first recommendation. And then to build immediately off of that, so uh, White Heaven ended in 1997, and then The Stars began in 1999, which was essentially a lot of the same personnel. So Yu Ishihara, his brother Ken Ishihara, who was on drums for the first release for that band, Michio Kurihara, and a couple, um, one other guy from White Heaven showed up, and then they added some other new members over time. They they were around from 99 until, I want to say, 2000 and nine and to my great dismay i think by the time i bought their first cd they had already broken up but they released this album called perfect place to hide away <clears throat> it was their second album their final album released in 2005 on pedal records which is michio kurihara's own record label that just basically releases stuff that he's been involved mm-hmm. with and it is so exceptional and very different especially in comparison to Out by White Heaven. So we listened earlier tonight to the song Lemonade, which is like this just really rambunctious, totally surrealistic lyrics. Milk, milk, lemonade, around the corner as fudge is made? No. (laughs) No. No, it's like, uh, jump into your paint box. I hate to hear you scream. I've never seen your face before. Uh, Like... Plastic chair on plastic floor. Friday morning, where's your rain? Lemonade, oh lemonade. Like, early morning. But the way... So Yu Ishihara, who plays guitar, but also does the vocals in both bands... Sounds like someone who's like too drunk to get out of bed just describing things he can see from where he's laying down. <laughs> but it's... It's it's like, not to be any kind of way, but the there is a... There's a sort of enjoyment out of the way that, like, they have this very Japanese pronunciation of already ridiculous phrases, and it really works with the music. And Yushihara gets way better at enunciating now what's been, uh, what is it, 14 years after the first White Heaven album. So his vocal performance on this is the best of anything he's done. But that song is incredible. It's like, that one is, you get, it's like a, more than a third of the song is the whole intro bit, and it's like really jamming, and it's just like got this great like boom, 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 like bass sound. Everything's super clear. Like this is the antithesis of the four track recorder. It's like sounds very professional, very clean, very clean, almost cold. Yeah, crisp is is definitely it, and it's just like funky, funky, funky. Then they get into this like real chill part, and then it kicks back in with this sweet drum fill. And I was I was trying to explain to the beard earlier, like I, I when I got this album the summer I had it, I was getting stoned all the time and I I was like trying to forcibly show it to my sister. I was like, You gotta understand how cool this is. She was like, Okay, like whatever, bro, like chill. And uh it just like it, it just it kicks in and it just turns this whole like massive jammy, just like, oh my god, and he's just yelling out the lyrics and it's so it's way funky. And the first song is called uh, Subway the Nightwalker, which is 
a song they essentially redid like three different times over every one of their albums, which slightly annoys me from a lyric standpoint. But this version is like, I'm taking a spaceship to the coolest interstellar martini bar in the whole universe. And it's just, it's like... Is it next to the Space Ceno? Uh, yeah. I think it's in the Space Ceno. It's like the nice part of it. And it's just so swanky sounding. And a big part of that is, and I haven't described this well, Michio Kurihara does crazy like wah pedal or like whammy bar and, and wah pedal, like all this massive sounding psych freak out shit. But he also plays the Ebo, which is a magnetic way to pull strings without plucking them for the guitar that allows you when especially the guitars rigged through a bunch of effects to get this like shimmering mystical sound that's just incredible and that's cool yeah so the we'll, we'll get to my next recommendation in a second but that whole like like that's all a guitar that he's just pulling the strings with a magnet on his finger i've seen him do this live a bunch of times with boris and it's fucking the tits yeah <laughs> and uh, um, he does this a lot on this album. And he does it also on White Heaven. Like, he's been doing it from pretty much day one. But his ability now with it is so... Like, he just creates these massive atmospheres uh, by playing that way. And the cool thing about the album is, though, it's, it starts with this, like, super chill track. And then the next song, uh, I think it's Backslider, is this, like, weird, like, spindly like hard like harder track and it gets into this whole like massive like just like guitar noise melding ultra high class pedals all like churning into this like horrific not a chill sound very very like tense to listen to right. if you're especially when i was hung over and i try to listen to stuff like i'm gonna throw up then you get lemonade which is just like jam central and you're like i'm having the best day of my life then there's another chill track, and then there's this song called Ice Blues, which is just like, Ice Blues, and then it's boom, 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 and the drums are like freaking huge, and then Michio Kurihara just like explodes into these, just like, it sounds like he's trying to wrangle a thousand stallions, but they're all guitars, and it's just <laughs> like this shit, and then they'll bring it back down, and then it just... It just keeps getting, like, more insane. And I, I read a review once that described it as, like, this is responsible for the, like, uh, Krakatoa or whatever. And uh, I was like, that's cool. Like, I really hope that one day we have enough fans where we'll have, like, fan artists. Mm. And they will make drawings of the ways that you describe <laughs> certain types of music. It's like when we listen Because to I want to see... A Japanese man trying to wrangle a thousand guitar horses. Yeah, it's like when we were t I was talking about Vomitor, and I was like, it's like a skeleton band <laughs> playing skeleton instruments. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Um, it's, it's fucking sick. It's, like, insane. And then the last track is super chill, and it's just, like, it's like a psychedelic ballad, essentially. Yeah. And it's so nice. And it's a tough album, because every song carries its very own, like, unique, strong vibe. Um that they do not necessarily they flow as an album but it kills you when it's like i just want to listen to six versions of subway the nightwalker or stalker or whatever the hell it is and just like be in this chill interdimensional travel thing it's nightwalker nightwalker yeah it, that doesn't that doesn't happen you don't get that immediately you're assaulted with like heavy harsh psych shit 
Um, but then, you know, then there's two more chill tracks later on. They're all split up. So love that album. Picked that up when I saw Boris the second to last time I saw them in 2010. And it was a really nice show. Was it the, what was it, Starlight Ballroom, Starland Ballroom in Philly? The one that's shut down? Starland. Yeah, so that was, they were playing, it was it was after Smile, it was after, well after Rainbow. They were basically playing off of the new 7-inch singles they were doing, but Michio Kurihara was on that tour, and he just, he's a guitar guy. He's my favorite guitar player of all yeah. time. He's, like, fucking insane. And if you want to hear him just, like, go in ham, that's the album to do it, because he does all of his different things. And then my final recommendation is Michio Kurihara's wife, ISO, who does this incredibly delicate, like, mixture of pop and folk and, like, singer-songwriter. She plays this, it's, like, acoustic guitar music that, in the earliest incarnations has almost no accompaniment. It's just like tape hiss and her recording into an actual four track or like a tape recorder basically. And she's got this very delicate voice that's pretty. And it's, it's just, it's like listening to spun sugar. Um, Mm -hmm. and this album that I'm recommending is, uh, chamomile, chamomile pool on pedal records from 2007 which is her third album and it's really like her second proper album uh it features much more fleshed out arrangements so we listen to tay 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 and that has michio kurihara all over it he's playing like that ebo guitar stuff the whole yeah. time while she's singing very delicately and the album has um so Ichiro Nakamura, Yo Ishihara, and other people related to the pedal, PSF, Nexus, all involved on some of the songs, so that the generally the arrangements are more full, and she's able to jump from <clears throat> these extremely delicate-sounding, intimate songs into these little popular numbers with like some very brittle soft drum machines or like actual drums and and the occasional Rhodes organ and things like that it's it's impressive how much character every single song she writes has considering how extremely minimal they are as far as arrangements mm-hmm. uh and again it can be disappointing cuz Tete Tete is like this incredible I'm just on the verge of overdosing on morphine type of like laying on somebody's couch in the basement in the summer. Not a personal experience. Slight-jawed, wide-eyed. Yeah, and I can remember sending this to a opiate enthusiast who <laughs> remarked that it was quite enjoyable. And I said, yeah, I know. How do you think I figured that out? And By listening to it. Correct. Silly boy. But she, everything she's done is awesome and worth picking up. Almost all of it's extremely expensive, unfortunately. And her early stuff, again, is like this is... It's a little bit... Because it's so minimal, it's a little bit more... Like, not grim, per se. But this, this album is more like... I think of it as like psychedelic folk, essentially. And it's not always that, but that's sort of the overall vibe. And if there was any one thing to buy from her, I would say it's this one. <clears throat> she did a live album, though, uh, called Ada, 
uh, right after this, and Go Hirano, who's a avant-garde piano player, did like free improv piano player, did piano arrangements in the last couple songs of it, and the beginning of it's just her, and it's really gorgeous and beautiful because it's her later songs with again extremely minimal arrangements, and then also with some extremely gorgeous piano playing towards the end. So. She is very good. Her husband, Michio Kurihara, is extremely exceptional. And I have never heard... I've heard a couple records Kurihara's played on that weren't his like main bands that have been less impressive. But essentially, out of this nexus of players, like I've never heard anything I outright did not like. And this is kind of the greatest hits. I most likely will be diving into more Japanese psych stuff next week and I was really torn between including Boris or not tonight but Boris is such a interesting and divisive band that um, I want to give them some more time when I cover right. them and we have talked about potentially doing an episode of either Motel Hell or even BDMFT that'll just be a breakdown of a single album and for those who know Boris uh, their album feedbacker is probably their most legendary and we may do a full sort of album dissection at some point in the future. And it'll it'll be after Ben's first listen in my millionth, and it should be fun. So, but yeah, questions, comments, concerns? Are we recording? I'm just playing. No, that was good. You did great. That was fun. Burn me these CDs. Yeah, would you, well, out of the three, which, which, what's your preference? Uh, the I also. That was the last one you put on, right? Yeah. That was fucking phenomenal. I could like see like driving alone on like a, an abandoned road, like a very cool night with the windows down, mm. like nicotine in your lungs. Yeah, that's what I did on my last night. A little too sleepy. Yeah. But like you're like it'll be fine. I probably won't die. Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Good stuff. So let's let's let's. Cl you're good. Let's, yeah. You want to close the box? <laughs> Lid's still very heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That I can't change. Yeah. It's an ancient box. It's made out of stone. Yeah. I don't even know what you're doing today, Ben. What are you doing today? I'm doing a Best Buy. Oh. Is uh, that the store? Yes. No. I'm doing a Best Buy on, once again, another video game, because that's... All you have time for. Pretty much. I can play them pretty quickly. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good at video games. Mm -hmm. Pretty good. You know? You know? I'm not, I'm not Gerard the Completionist Khalil, but pretty good. He's completed over 300 games. Anyway, uh, I decided to review a game actually I beat very quickly and very recently, Katana Zero. Uh, it was published by Devolver Digital, who always puts out very good indie stuff. came out in April on the 18th in 2019, this year. And you can get it on Microsoft Windows, Mac OS, and Switch. Can't get it on any other consoles, unfortunately. Which I find interesting because if they have it on PC. It usually goes to Xbox. I'm sure eventually it'll go to the other places, but... They probably had some kind of deal. Yeah. So, the game itself, it's a 2D action scroller, I guess you could say. Sort of in the vein of Castlevania, Metroidvanias, but you don't go back anywhere. And it's that idea of like the multiple... Levels and going upstairs and downstairs and opening so doors. It's more of like classic Castlevania before it became Metroidvania. Yes. Right? 
Very much so. Um, but it's very, very fast-paced. So, I'm not going to delve too much into the story, but essentially it's like it's set in this neo-noir place called New Mecca, and there was some war or something, and Naturally. you play an assassin known only as the dragon. You're a katana-wielding assassin. Mm. And you... Your handler is this psychiatrist who gives you this drug called Kronos, which allows you to slow down time and perceive the future, which is really where this game gets interesting because you, what you're playing in the game is you're playing your possible outcomes, your premonitions of, if I do this this way, it'll end like this. So that's kind of how it works. It's one shot dead. If you get hit once, you're dead. And you have to start the that whole section over again. And you essentially have to go clear out, you know, from point A to point B. And like I said, all you have is a katana. There's guys who punch you, guys who hit you with a weapon, and people who have guns. So you have to utilize the whole slow down mechanic to fire bullets back at people. And when you die, it all rewinds and you start right at that beginning again. So you go, okay. I can do it this way instead of this way. And there are multiple ways to clear out a room. And then after you do, the whole thing plays at normal speed for you. So you can actually watch it go down. Like if, if someone was watching on security cameras, you do this mm -hmm. heinous shit. It's super violent and super good. Is it kind of like Hala Miami a little bit? Yes, very much so. Okay. Very much so. And I wanted to mention it was programmed by a guy named Justin Stander. And the whole, the, the soundtrack is fucking incredible. It's all synthwave shit. It's mostly composed by Ludo Wick and Bill Kiley. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know who they are. But the soundtrack is, is great. It's got a very late 80s, early 90s feel to it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, honestly, it's just a gameplay that sold it for me, man. Um... You don't really need the story. The story's okay. For me, it really didn't add much. They, there's also this slight um, Leon the Professional aspect of the storyline that happens. And you kind of get some info about some war that happened and who you may or may not actually be. But honestly, most of it doesn't really matter. I was in the process of doing the post-game stuff where you can collect things and do some other stuff which I don't really want to give away, but my save file got corrupted and deleted the whole fucking thing. But, as far as I know, you still can and I did, I picked up the game for eleven ninety nine on the Nintendo eShop which is a pretty good deal. It's a very quick game though. And I've paid just as much money or less for games that I've been playing for over 40 hours, like Hollow Knight. Yeah. I pl I paid, I think, like, nine bucks for because it was on sale at the time. Yeah. On the eShop, and I've, I'm still playing that. But it's definitely worth $11 yeah. or $15. Well, I mean, acid's $10 a hit and you trip for 12 hours, and Coke's $60 a fucking bag if you're not a bitch. And uh, it only lasts you for, like, a good half an hour of pleasantness. But... Sometimes, you know, there's a reason where... 
Well, my thing is, you know it's, what I'm trying it's to very say. digestible. Yeah. It's very quick and to the point. Um, there is one thing I don't like, and if you don't want spoilers, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but skip ahead a few seconds. There's a point in the game where they do something that I hate in video games, where they give you the illusion of a choice. And if you choose one way, the game is just over. If you choose the other way, the game continues and you can finish it. Why you would ever choose to end a game that you enjoy playing, I don't know. It did end on such a note where it looked like they're, they're pl they might be playing a sequel. There could be really cool DLC for it. A lot of indie companies like this tend to put out like free DLC that'll add like bosses or levels or stuff like that. But I definitely highly recommend the game. There's a lot of movie references and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. The, the dialogue options are interesting because you can kind of choose the dialogue options. I don't know if they actually fucking affect anything. Mm -hmm. But you can honestly, if you've got some time, you can probably beat this game pretty quickly. Like maybe eight hours if you're really like down to the grindstone. Yeah. I think if you try to flesh it out, it'll probably take you like 10 or 15. Okay. Give or take. But I definitely recommend it. It's beautiful. The art, it's all pixel art stuff which gets my dick super hard and it's it's really pretty it's just that gameplay though man it's just so fast paced all you can do is jump slash slow down time or throw an object and when you're hitting that stride it's mm, mm, it's so good it tastes yeah. so nice the <laughs> the one thing that it's not an issue in any way, but it, it I kill myself over is... So you have that moment where you can replay... Where it replays what you just did. And I found myself restarting levels because I was like, that didn't look cool enough. I almost see it look cool. And it's not like those, those video files are saved somewhere where you can play them all in one line. No. You see it once and then it's gone forever, so I don't know. But the game's a lot of fun. I definitely yeah. recommend it. If you got a Switch, get it for Switch. And if you got PC, get it for PC, but you're going to need a game pad to play it. Yeah, I know. I, I remember, well, I don't actually, because I played basically, I beat almost all of Hotline Miami in one night that I was on a bunch of drugs. And I think I was playing it on my keyboard. Like, I'm nearly positive, which was quite difficult. And then eventually I think I beat it or got close to beating it on the gamepad. But that game was... It had such an extremely addictive gameplay loop, but was so brutally unforgiving. And then sometimes it would glitch out, and it was one of those where it was like the style was in the gameplay loop where everything and the story got so up its own ass that it was like, who gives a shit, you know? I just want to keep fucking murdering people at hyperspeed. Yeah, my only thing is they they change gameplay tactics sometimes, and with a game this short, I feel like they didn't need to. Yeah. Uh, there's a scene that's very reminiscent of like you know older games where all of a sudden you jump on a motorcycle and you're going around that one was fun but then there's one that you're supposed to be like stealthy and I'm like oh, I, don't, I, heard, yeah. I don't want to do that Yeah. and it doesn't change anything if you don't at least I don't think it does maybe it does in the long run yeah. I haven't looked into multiple endings yet I kind of after I lost my save file I was like I'm going to put this down for a little bit because I'm a little bit mad but yeah the gameplay, the core gameplay is totally fucking solid. Nice. 
And that is my best buy. Well, you did a great job, and I'm impressed. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, well, thank you guys for listening. Uh, hopefully, if you're interested in this psychedelic rock stuff, then you're going to hear more about it. And if you like video games, you're certainly going to hear more about those in the future here. This is a safe space for gamers. So... Yeah, I've got some I've got some other game reviews coming up, definitely. I'm currently playing a new one, so we'll see. Yeah, but check us out on uh, Instagram, rate and review us on iTunes, or leave a comment on SoundCloud. Whatever, don't, that's cool too. Uh, but thanks for listening, and hopefully you'll listen in the future. Later, nerds. Later.